is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to Be You Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. So I promised you that by the last episode, you would hear the details for the BU Collective Zoom party that we were having. And I forgot to do that. So Thursday, October 28th at 8 p.m. Eastern time, so EDT, we'll be gathering on Zoom to meet each other, to see each other, to see who's in this community. And I have something special planned for all of you as well. So if you text me at 260 217-4675. You will get the link to the free Zoom event and we hope to see you there. So when I first committed to the book that I felt needed to be birthed, I partnered with a company called Scribe and Tucker Max, a best-selling author and the co-owner of Scribe Media, shared with me how important it is when you write a book, a memoir, specifically, to write from your scars and not from your wounds, from your scars and not from your wounds. And that applies to everything we do in life. Not planning on writing a book? No problem. What about your relationships? The relationship with yourself, your friends, your intimate relationships, your coworkers, your colleagues, if you have a team you're responsible for, the people you report to in business, your neighbors, your parents, your in-laws, if you and I do not heal our shit, we will work our shit out on everybody around us, whether we know it or not and whether we're willing to admit it or not. Remember, all that needs to be healed is beneath the surface. It's not in our conscious brain. So you and I can say whatever we want about how we are and how we be and how we love and how we show up and what our childhood was or wasn't. But remember, that's coming from our brain. And our mind is so powerful. It will delete and distort information to protect us. It will delete and distort memories. But your body, your body, is like a living library. Every single experience you have had since birth, since in utero, and your feeling about that, your response to that experience, all of it is stored away in your physical 
body. So when you hear people say, get out of your head, into your heart, I mean, I always thought I knew what that meant. Get out of your head, right? Don't obsess, don't overthink things, you know, really get into your heart, you know, what what really feels good in your heart. Like I thought that was a pretty clear statement, get out of your head and into your heart. I see it so differently now. I don't know about you, but what I've learned about the body, about somatics, about psychology, about how all of that works is that, oh my gosh, getting out of our head isn't just about getting into our heart because it feels better and that's where love lives. It's about getting out of our head and into our heart because many of us are in our head to avoid feelings, to avoid emotions. And we just want to feel safe. So we are ungrounded and we're running around operating just from our head. We're making decisions from our head, big decisions, career changes, relationships, etc. Not really tuning in, not just to our inner knowing, that GPS, that guidance system, love, truth. I mean, that's enough, right? But also completely detached from our body. And it's important that we are not detached from our body because our body is where everything lives as far as our emotions and our memories and all of the trauma that we either remember or we don't remember when we were children. So it might seem like a safer thing to do, right? I'm going to avoid all that. I don't want to feel that shit. Are you kidding me? Here's the big problem. The problem is that living library, that body of yours and mine, it ain't forgetting anything. And you can't detach completely because it will do the weeping for you. It will do the processing for you somehow in unhealthy ways. How does that look? Let's just look at our health. If I'm not willing to transmute and process the stuff that's under the surface, remember picture an iceberg, 95% of it is below the surface of the water. That is our subconscious. And that's what's driving the bus. If I'm not acknowledging that, exploring there, looking there, let alone processing those feelings that I may not even remember, by the way. You might think, why would I do that? It's so much easier to just live in my head. Avoid, avoid, avoid. Most of us do that. Here's the problem. As I said, your body is a living library and it doesn't forget. And if you're not willing to let this stuff out and let it go and release it and process it and heal, your body will try to do it for you. Your organs will weep, so to speak. Disease, disease, fatigue, panic attacks, headaches, a weaker immune system, cancer, autoimmune, a racing heart, symptoms that seem completely out of the blue or unexpected, or we write them off as normal because they happen to be common. So remember, if you don't, your organs will weep for you. And aside from our physical body, what also will happen is we will leak emotion, rage, anger, anything that's below the surface. It's like, you know, pushing the ball under the water, pushing the ball under the water, pushing the ball under the water, holding it there, holding there as long as you can. And at some point, it's going to blow. Now, it won't be maybe one huge life event, but it could just be little bursts and little 
spurts that look like losing our temper, just a rage response at one of our children. And then afterwards, we feel regret and remorse and we can't believe we said that. Or I can't believe I just laid into that person on the phone like that. I can't believe I acted that way on the highway while I was driving. I can't believe it just snapped up my spouse like that or my coworker. Some of you might thinking, well, I've never yelled like that. Okay, well, it could be the opposite for you. What about repression? What about apathy, resentment, lethargy, just having no motivation, feeling exhausted all the time, feeling like you just can't do it, avoiding anything that looks like what we think is, what we perceive as conflict, being Susie Sunshine with toxic positivity. Oh, look over there. I see a ladybug. You know, just avoiding any conversation that's uncomfortable. That's a trauma response. That's your body leaking unprocessed trauma. When it comes to our relationships, business, friends, our children, we might show up when we're living from and through our wounds instead of our scars, trying to control everything around us. And it might be very subtle control, but it's still control. People-pleasing, believe it or not, is controlling because you're trying to please other people to control their perception of you. That's controlling. doesn't look like it, does it? Certainly, it looks like it's just really nice. It's absolutely coming from a controlling place. Not having boundaries. Allowing people to disrespect your own boundaries and not even being able to have boundaries for yourself, but also disrespecting and violating boundaries of other people. Emotional dumping. That's one example. The way this unprocessed stuff showed up with me in these areas were in my business experience. I noticed once I started processing these emotions and recognizing what was going on after years and years and years of mindset work and personal development work and, you know, workshops and thinking I really had it going on. When I really realized that, oh, no, 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 that's just a 5% of it. Most of this is in the body. Once that landed for me, I was able to see that as I was processing that and healing, I parented differently, but I also led my team and business very differently. I also noticed a bizarre parallel between the two. This isn't something that a coach said to me. I was able to see it so clearly for myself. Do you see this for yourself? That I was parenting my children identically to the way I was quote unquote parenting or leading my business organization. A lot of control, no boundaries, a lot of worry, codependency, people pleasing, perfectionism, fear. And when I started cleaning things up internally, not even thinking about business, remember how we do one thing is how we do everything. There's a ripple effect in every area of your life when you work on one area. And as I did that, and I also looked at my parenting, lo and behold, the way I showed up for my team was different and they noticed it. Remember, blind spots are blind spots for a reason. I mean, they're called that for a reason. It's because we can't see them. I couldn't see how I was showing up. And most of us surround ourselves with people who won't tell us the truth. 
So we don't even know it. We could go an entire lifetime and have no idea. And then one day, if we would be willing to have clear feedback, a real feedback conversation, which is so uncomfortable and it can be very painful for some of us, that's the first time we actually see how we show up in the world. Me living through my wounds, and I mean my gaping wounds, instead of scars, showed up in my friendships as control, constantly being disappointed, constantly getting my feelings hurt, attracting friends who were narcissistic. I mean, extremely selfish, never gave back, critical of me, never brought me into their world. I was constantly catering to my friends and in inviting them to things and creating things for them to get together. And one time, very recently, I looked back and I'm like, fuck this. Like, this is ridiculous. My close friends, when is the last time they ever invited me into their circle? When's the last time they invited me to have lunch with their friends? When's the last time they invited me to go to a party? I'm always the one supporting them and not all of them, obviously. And I really looked at them and I did a a little check of an edit of my friends, my friends list, right? But I also then had to look at myself more importantly. Why did I attract this? because I still had unhealed wounds that had not been able to form scars yet. So I was living through, operating through, seeing through, living through, loving through gushy, bloody, messy wounds. So that's how my relationships looked. They weren't awful. I mean, I'm on good terms with these people. I love them. They love me. But it wasn't the kind of friendship I could have, which I have now. And because if you are living through your wounds instead of your scars, you will attract other wounded people with similar wounds. Or as we've talked about before, you will subconsciously find people who will absolutely pick at those wounds without even knowing it. If they start to form a scab, they'll be picking at those because you haven't healed yet. So you're subconsciously attracting someone into your life to relive whatever you haven't healed from childhood. You felt abandoned, you'll find people who abandoned you. You felt rejected, rejection is going to be in every relationship. It's not just you're looking for it, you'll actually attract that into your life. You haven't healed the wound between you and your mother, very likely, 100% guaranteed by the way, that you will find friends who will mimic your mother. The way it showed up for me in my parenting, oh my gosh, I know I've talked about this before. If you haven't heard the episode called Bad Mother, please, if you have children, go back and listen to that. So many moms messaged me saying, I am in tears right now. This was so helpful. I didn't know. I thought I was the only one. Someone just today messaged me on Instagram after my post and said, oh, I do that too. I have that leaky anger and then the regret. And then when you feel bad about the leaky anger, which is an outburst, right? Then what do you do? You go into shame and so you pull away. And then that child or that partner, whoever it is, feels abandoned, right? Then they pull away from you and then you feel abandoned. And then the cycle repeats. But in my parenting, oh my goodness, I could spend two hours talking about how I showed up as a parent when my children were small, especially. Why, especially when they were small? Because I had done none of this work. I loved them so much, so much. And while I was saying, love you more, I was unknowingly hurting them. I was controlling. There were no boundaries. I 
had expectations that would never be met by a child. I felt like I was a horrible mother because I had unhealed wounds and I felt like I wasn't a good person subconsciously and I wasn't enough. So how could I be a good mother? Consciously, I didn't feel that way. Absolutely not. That's why I had to be perfect. That's why I had to make sure I had something in the crock pot by 1030 in the morning and I had to have my house clean and I had to be the Girl Scout leader. And I also had to make sure that I was making money and I had a job and I had to make sure that I was being a homemaker and I was, you know, making the Halloween costumes and I tried so hard to control everything around me because I felt so out of control as a child. That little girl in me was actually the mom. That's why inner child work is so important. So important. And a quick left turn, I recently learned from my coach, Christine Hassler, that inner child work couldn't be more important right now. And by the way, she has an inner child workshop going on right now. Highly recommend it. Find Christine Hassler, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-H-A-S-S-L-E-R, Christine Hassler on Instagram and find or go to christinehassler.com. Find that inner child workshop. It is phenomenal. But what she was saying recently was that with the state of the world right now, and we have listeners right now from Saudi Arabia, welcome, welcome to you. We have new listeners from Kenya and all over the world. First of all, I love you. I'm sending you so much love right now. Thank you for listening. All of us are so much more alike than we are different, aren't we? This is all of us. And what Christine explained to me the other day was that because of the state of the world right now, those of us who are being more triggered than others are being more triggered because of our unhealed wounds, because our inner child is screaming and wants justice and wants to be protected and wants safety, wants truth. So back on track here, when I look at my parenting, especially when they were younger, but I mean, still today, I mean, just I just yelled at my son last night, nothing like what I used to, absolutely justified to be upset with him. But the way I acted, that was a trigger. And remember what triggers are. When we get triggered, that is an invitation to go in and look inward, not blame, not shame, not, oh, here you go again, horrible parent. No, no, no. But to go into me and say to my little girl, my inner child, what do you need right now? What do you need? I was trying to keep him safe because I, that little girl that didn't feel safe was showing up. And if you don't give your inner child what he or she needs, she will make her voice very, very present to try to get what she needs. And it won't be pretty. So in my parenting, I was such a perfectionist, but I was a very manipulative, controlling perfectionist because I didn't want to look like a perfectionist. I would sort of laugh at the moms that had to have their kids all lined up in a row and everything had to be perfect and the Norman Rockwell version of a family. I I looked at that and I was like, oh, please, having no idea that I was just a few steps down from that. I thought my children were a reflection of me. I thought my children were like a measure of my worthiness as a parent. The way they looked, the way they spoke, the way they behaved in public their performance in every aspect. I unknowingly put so much pressure on them while thinking I wasn't because I was the one that was also letting them have playful fights in the kitchen with flour, you know, letting them finger paint in the middle of the day and paint their face for no reason, letting them dress themselves, you see? So that's why I believed that I was a laid back, cool, fun mom. Well, I was a fun, cool mom who was laid back about some things. 
but hyper-reactive and hyper-controlling in other ways. Constantly worrying. That comes from our wounds. You worry, that's your wound. Constantly worrying that someone would take them, something would happen to them. Just trying to seek safety in any way I could. When my oldest daughter rebelled and she has such a big personality and she would say things to me like, mom, you cannot control everything I do. My answer was, watch me. And then it finally backfired where she was like, really? Watch me. I would never parent that way now. And you and I are all doing the very best we can every minute. So don't be hard on yourself. Yet it's also important that we don't do the whole spiritual bypassing where we're like, well, everything happens the way it's meant to. I did the best I could. Yeah, it's also important for us to really look inward. Look at ourselves, not with criticism, with love, but introspection nonetheless. I'm going to share a very personal example that is not easy to share. It's very personal. It's very raw. But I think it's important to share this because, well, one, I just feel the prompt to do it. Remember, your intuition is always right. But number two, I care about all of you. And if this helps you, I'm willing to sort of out myself and be vulnerable here. So I had a coaching session with my life coach just a few days ago. And we were talking about the struggles of my youngest son, my son, George, who has been struggling with anxiety and it's been diagnosed as grief, depression. You know, his birth father has broken his heart into a million pieces a million times. And it's just been just brutal, just fucking brutal to watch him suffer and cry and just deal with that. And I can only do so much. And that's not new. But what I was getting coaching on the other day was the fact that I see George not showing up the way George always did. George has been described like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Rudy. If you don't know that movie, Rudy, the character Rudy is just all heart all the time. He does everything with intention. And I used to say that about George. George eats with intention. He walks with intention. He hugs with intention. He loves big. George is so empathic, so sensitive, so loving, so caring, so highly intelligent, gifted. And it's an interesting combination. And I've bragged about that a lot. I think partly because I had so many struggles with my oldest child. I think I was compensating by focusing on how amazing George is, and he is. Yet, recently seeing him struggle, you know, with motivation. Rudy is never unmotivated, (laughs) right? So my Rudy, George, struggling with motivation, struggling with drive. You know, I've never expected straight A's out of my kids. We don't measure our kids by their grade cards, et cetera. However, we do want them to do their very best, the best of their ability. And I know what George is capable of. I mean, we've had him tested and he's just off the charts with intelligence and also very academic. Those are two different things. Some people are super intelligent, not academic. George is a very academic learner and he has a high IQ and he loves to learn. He enjoys it. So seeing him just not motivated, seeing him not motivated even in other areas of his life and just, you know, not being the George that I had in my head, you know, I had him on a pedestal. What happens when you have anyone on a pedestal? They're going to fall. There's no way around it. 
George was just being a normal kid. Nothing bad. But it was affecting me so much. I was so sad about it and feeling so just, I would just say sadness around it. Watching him in pain for one, but also, as I said, seeing him, I would say what felt like, it may not be accurate, what felt like seeing him change before my eyes. And my coach, Christine, said to me, Jill, have you ever considered that George was the first man in your life ever who hadn't hurt you, hadn't disappointed you, hadn't lied to you, hadn't deceived you? And I just stopped and cried. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. She said, that's why this is so hard for you. One little lie a 16-year-old tells you shouldn't be that painful. I mean, him lying about things like that, that's actually pretty typical for that age. But it hurts that much because you don't just have him on a pedestal. He's the love of your life. He's the one man who's never hurt you. And I had to really sit with that. And I'm sharing that with you because that is a wound I have not dealt with. I haven't dealt with that yet. So me experiencing my son this way can only lead to disappointment, heartache, and heartbreak. But when I process those emotions and I'm willing to release those emotions and those memories unrelated to George out of my body, remember the living library that's holding on to what my brain has deleted or distorted, then I can see him for who he is. I can love him for who he is. I can forgive and appreciate him the way he deserves. And then what's the extra gift on top of that? What's the whipped cream, sprinkles and cherry on top of that? Think about what that will do for my marriage. It may appear completely unrelated. Everything's connected. Of course, this whole wound that affects my relationship with George has to be affecting my relationship with my husband without even me realizing it. When I look at my middle daughter, Julia, how did my unhealed wounds affect her? Seeing her in a way that appeared to me as passive, as sort of hypo-reactive, as kind of withdrawn or even wimpy, not willing to stand up for herself, why did that trigger me so much? For years. And so I lectured her on how she should be different. Instead of looking at me, You know why it triggered me? Because I was so afraid that she would get hurt because in my eyes, because I had trauma that was not processed and healed, I had this distorted view of reality that you have to man up and you have to have your guard up and you have to have your armor on or else someone's going to hurt you. That was my own stuff, not hers. So whatever you do not work out on your own, you will unconsciously work out on other people your friends, your lover, your spouse, your partner, your coworkers, your business partners, your neighbors even, your parents, your in-laws, and absolutely, for sure, your children. So remember, you have all the answers. If you hold your hand on your heart center, take some deep, deep breaths. Sit in nature if you can. Perhaps be in or around water. It might be helpful to have some sort of 
music playing that gets you into a really quiet, peaceful place. And ask yourself, and when you do that, you're asking the divine, you're asking God. But you can say it to yourself, to your body. You ask your body what it needs. Ask your little girl. Picture yourself at seven or eight years old. Maybe look at a picture of yourself and say, what do you need? Tell her that you love her. Tell her she's safe. Tell her she's protected. Make sure you are loving all parts of you. And you're willing to dig as deep as you need to dig to find what's unhealed so that you can have the life that you and others around you deserve. Mindset work isn't going to do it. It's not enough. This is deep stuff in your body. Remember, breath, sound, and movement are the three ways to release what's in the subconscious, below the surface, in the body that has yet to be seen. Breath, sound, and movement. Find someone to do breath work with you. There's so many resources online. They can do sessions right over Zoom. Do anger release, exercise. There's so many ways to dance it out, to work it out. Try sound healing. Remember, we had Monique Benabou on one of our episodes. There are so many options. And remember, as we said in another episode, find a trauma-informed, somatic-focused coach. So many of them out there. Start living your life and loving through and from your scars instead of your wounds.